What an episode I have got in store for you guys this week on Track Back with Cal Mack. I am joined by Conservative Member of Parliament and politician Trudy Harrison, whose constituency is Copeland in Cumbria. I was very grateful to have Trudy on the show to talk about some issues that really needed to be talking about um, uh, on the show, including how we can help uh, sufferers of domestic abuse, both men and women. Also, how uh, she intends to improve rural broadband in uh, areas such as Keswick, Cockermouth and Penrith uh, in the Lake District. And also um, her vision um, on how we can help um, bring down carbon emissions by 2050. Uh, Very, very interesting uh, information that Trudy was putting out on the episode, and I hope you guys enjoy it. And give us your opinion on these issues, what you think, by emailing us at trackbackpodcast.yahoo.com and give us a follow on Instagram at trackbackpod. Here's myself with Trudy Harrison, MP. I'm Cal Mack, and I have the pleasure to be joined by my special guest, Trudy Harrison, the Parliamentary Private Secretary to our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, and a Member of Parliament for Copeland, uh, representing the Conservative Party. Trudy, how are you? Isn't it absolutely beautiful? I'm good. I've had a meeting of lively meetings, all very progressive, and I I keep looking out there because I can see the fantastic Bootle Church, the yellow society, the daffodils are just about hanging on in there. And there's a blue sky backdrop. So all is good in my is world good. at the moment. I am so happy to hear that, Trudy. I want to thank you first for appearing. It's a delight to get the chance to speak to you. And I think for myself and the rest of the um, viewers, you are a very busy woman, aren't you? Definitely. You don't stand to do this job if you've got any issues with stamina. <laughs> Absolutely. So I have got a couple of questions for you, Trudy, that um, I would like to ask you. And I'm going to start off with my first question. On Wednesday, the 3rd of March, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak set out an ambitious plan to support people and businesses by providing billions of pounds through the spring budget. The budget lays out the foundations of future economy. How will Copeland benefit from the spring budget locally? I think this is um, very much a recovery budget because as we have um, endured unprecedented challenges on our community, so must there be an unprecedented budget. And that is absolutely what the Chancellor has delivered. I mean, it's very practical things. For example, the extension of the furlough scheme, the holiday for business rate uh, continuance. It's things like the grants that have been made available, both specific and the discretionary grants, which are brilliant councils. And for me, that's Allerdale and Copeland have been excellent at um, enabling businesses to continue with the help of those grants that the Chancellor and also the Prime Minister have set in what's next, because the most important thing is confidence. And I think the Prime Minister, whose optimism rivals my own, has been utterly clear that we will bounce back, we'll build back better. The the manifesto in 2019 was already talking about levelling up, and it's places like Copeland, it's Keswick, it's Whitehaven, Cleetamoor, Egremont, Millam, and all the villages in between, which have got so much to gain by unleashing that potential. The big three for me are farming, tourism, and the kind of energy industry. And all the policies that are coming out of government from Rishi Sunak as the Chancellor, but also, I think, from the likes of Bayes are really, really encouraging. The 
Prime Minister's 10-point plan is brilliant news for Cumbria. Yes. And the focus now on um, climate change is shining a light on all of the industrial hubs across the UK that can play a really significant part in hitting net, uh, net zero by 2050. Yeah, and exactly. I, I did read about that as well, how the Prime Minister was starting to tackle the um, issue of climate change a lot. Um, and I think that uh, the President of the United States, Joe Biden, has actually come out with a statement as well regarding that. Um, we look at somewhere like Sellafield, which um, is located, of course, in Cumbria. Um, are they being, I mean, wh what can we do with uh, about them when it comes to this um, uh, statement made by the Prime Minister about climate change? Okay, brilliant question. And the first, first thing really to highlight is that Sellafield doesn't produce electricity anymore. It used to. I think we've had seven reactors of varying types at Sellafield, but they're all currently being decommissioned. So really, um, what Sellafield can do is look at its energy usage, transition to perhaps uh, hydrogen forklift trucks for the usage actually on the site, but also um, supporting other nuclear communities around the world. Because at Sellafield, we've had a number of first-of-a-kind technologies and those different reactors. We're operating in very difficult-to-access environments. So we're now seeing robotics um, really um, being a, a feature of what we'll do more of in Copeland because we've had to. So previously, we've had to put windscale suits on PVC, um, minimise the amount of time that people can be in those environments. But with the advance of artificial intelligence and robotics, what we're doing now is taking the human out, creating systems that can do the work that the human once did. But that can be reproduced for oil and gas, for pharmaceuticals, for difficult to access environments right across the world. And we've had to do it first at Sellafield. So that's what that particular site and company, I think, can do. But actually, this is much wider than Sellafield. This is the whole nuclear industry, yeah. from research and development in small modular reactors, in advanced modular reactors, in high temperature gas reactors, and right through to fusion. But we did it here first, you know, at scale in West Cumbria, and we'll continue to do it and be the centre of nuclear excellence now and I think right through into the uh, the future where fusion will take over. It's a really exciting time. It, it, it does. It, it does seem that way. Thank you so much for that. And not just nuclear, of course, because, you know, for renewables to be um, sustainable, obviously they don't produce electricity. Uh, wind turbines won't produce electricity if the wind isn't blowing and solar panels won't produce electricity if the sun isn't shining. So during that kind of downtime, it's essential that we've also got a constant, what they call baseload uh, electricity provision. And that is what nuclear provides. So I think we'll probably end up with somewhere in the order of a third renewables, a third nuclear and a third kind of um, fossil fuels with some carbon capture as well. Uh, but that's just for electricity. Bearing in mind that I think electricity is only about 17% of the UK energy requirement. You've also got heat and you've got transportation to think about, huge opportunities for things like hydrogen. And the co-generation kind of capability between nuclear and hydrogen is brilliant. But I fear I may be boring your viewers, Carl. Not at all. Um, the next question is relating to um, what we were just talking about. How will your priorities support the world-class nuclear and industrial future, promoting our specialist skills, safeguarding jobs, and ultimately securing us a stronger economy? 
First priority was to encourage the government to recognise that nuclear was part of the solution and part of the transition from carbon, um, carbon fuel through to low carbon alternatives. And we've done that most definitely because we now feature nuclear in the 10 point plan. We've got the energy white paper. Next step um, is really to understand our nuclear capability now, where we need to be, actually understand how many gigawatts of nuclear are needed. The industry has an agreed amount of 40 gigawatts by 2050. To put that into some perspective, you're only going to get just over three gigawatts from a Hinkley Point C. Just about every part of our energy system will need to be built or rebuilt by 2050. The exception might be um, size well B with a considerable life extension that might still be running, commissioned in 86, I think, that might still be running in 2050. All your wind turbines, all your solar panels, all your other nuclear power stations, everything will need to be built or rebuilt by 2050. It's a mammoth task. Um, and whether we're looking at nuclear or hydrogen or renewables, um, it's a great opportunity, but we need to ensure that more of the benefit is felt in the UK. And I think what we've done over, actually, over the last generation is depend upon overseas technologies. And we've almost been the kind of guinea pig for those technologies because we have the gold standard in the UK, which is the Office of Nuclear Regulations Generic Design Assessment. You know, overseas developers have wanted to come here, develop their technology and say, this was developed for the UK and it's great for their kind of international export model. It's not great for us though. So I am super delighted that the likes of Rolls-Royce are heading up their 440 megawatt small modular reactor. And I want that to be sited yes. near Sellafield. I very much want that to be sited in West Cumbria, in addition to the advanced modular reactors and also, um, you know, heading towards fusion as well. So getting the green light from government, assessing our national capability and national need, matching that to the West Cumbrian opportunities, and then almost project managing that with councils, with industry, to ensure that we execute on those plans that deliver the greatest benefits for West Cumbria and the UK. Absolutely. And we talk about how 2050 is when um, we're hoping to get all this done by. That's still a long time away. You can imagine what it's going to, what the UK in itself will look like by 2050. It's, it's sensational to really think about it, isn't it? It is when you start to um, weigh up the changes. You know, we're so dependent on fossil fuels at the moment. So to transition to low carbon and think about a world where we won't be using diesel and petrol in our vehicles and to think about how we might see something different in our national gas network. 23 million homes are hooked up to the national gas network. If that's changing to a different kind of gas or a different means of cooking and eating in our homes, that's a huge undertaking. And that's just the residential. You've also got commercial, you've got industrial hubs. It is really exciting, but then it becomes pretty daunting when you think about the gigawatt scale required to actually meet the energy needs of this country. And as we've seen, to ensure that that energy is um, sustainable in its supply as well, because I think we found that we need an indigenous UK provision for energy. 
Absolutely. Now, domestic abuse victims and their children living in Copeland will be able to receive more support following extra funding as part of the government's domestic abuse bill. How will that extra money enable dom domestic abuse victims and their children living in Copeland receiving the help that they need? Um, great question. I think we received just shy of a million pounds into Cumbria, of which about a third of that is going to Copeland. And that's quite right, too. I think what we'll see is extra support for places like Women Out West, which was um, founded by the wonderful Rachel Holiday, who works tirelessly to help victims of domestic abuse, including their families. And I've really seen um, some inequality in the way that services are provided. I very sadly have a particularly high rate of children being taken into care in Copeland compared with the rest of Cumbria and actually compared with the rest of the UK. So it's working with women. It's actually about encouraging um, girls and women to have ambition for themselves, to make life choices which are healthy, to engage in healthy relationships. Just above me there are my four daughters, Gabrielle, Savannah, Francesca and Rosemary, who are aged um, 22, 21, 19 and 18. I always have to keep a check on who's had a birthday. Well, that's, close. That, that's a very close age range for your four daughters. Yes, uh, I had four under five at one point and oh, just such happy memories, very fond times. But my youngest, Rosie, she just passed a driving test yesterday. Congratulations. So, which is brilliant, but it's kind of sad because it's one of the significant kind of passports to adulthood, isn't it, when they get to get that their moment. wheels. I mean, I've not passed my driving test yet and I'm 24 years old, so that says something. <laughs> Well, when you live in Bootle, maybe you've got alternatives, but certainly living in Bootle, um, just to be able to get to work when you live at, uh, in our community, it's quite the necessity. But the point was, it's ensuring that um, girls and young women actually have um, an ambition and an independence that doesn't, you know, end up in relationship choices which are less less than productive, less than healthy, and, and also encouraging boys and young men to have the respect for women. Of course, Absolutely. domestic abuse does happen to men as well. Men can be victims. Like two ends of the spectrum, isn't it? Women. Two ends Sorry, of the, it's kind of like two ends of the spectrum, isn't it? The fact that, yes, women do get abused, but at the same time, men do get abused as well. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And um, the, the point is that there is support there, supporting decisions. But when things do go wrong, it is not the victim that has to move out of that house. It is not the victim that has their children taken away. It's the perpetrator that we deal with. Absolutely. Now, something that I'm quite passionate about and I know that you are too, Trudy, is improving rural broadband. Because I know that is one of the priorities as a community campaigner that you've been over the past 10 years is about improving mobile and internet connectivity. Can you please update uh, myself um, with the work completed to improve the mobile and internet connectivity? I sure can. And actually, you're quite right. When I was a parish councillor, and one of the priorities for me, as I've just discussed, our village is very remote, really, although we're on the 595, relatively limited services um, 
So getting better internet connection was an absolute lifesaver for me, it enabled me to carry on my work in Bootle. And I certainly wouldn't be able to have the parliamentary office in the middle of our village if I didn't have good internet connectivity and I'd miss out on the opportunity to talk to you now, Cal. Absolutely. So, of course, you know, the, the pandemic has really shone a light on the need for digital connectivity. And we've been fortunately able to help communities like Sea Toller, Monk Moors um, get their internet, but also it's, it's persuading the government that our rural communities are even more of a priority. But it's lobbying, it's tasking Openreach, BT, connecting Cumbria. So the, the real ask there is if you're burdened with poor internet connectivity or mobile phone connectivity, which has a dis, um, you know a disadvantage um, to you and your life, then I want to know about it because I will amplify those concerns to, to those that can make a difference. And we are making a difference and it's really yeah. brilliant when we do, particularly when it's prevented young people from participating in education or people being able to work. It's not a luxury anymore. It's an absolute necessity. Absolutely, because um, I, I want to as well expand on the point you made in the fact that I've talked to a lot of people, um, a, a lot of selection of people, including you know school children who um I've worked with in the past, and they've 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 come out and talked to me about how they live in such a rural area that they don't have that sort of ability to have good enough internet connection to complete their work, and they're falling behind on it. And the fact that lockdown is the worst time for that to happen, and as well for 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 norm for for um. Uh, some of my friends that I know as well, the fact that um, they've told me that during the lockdown, if they did not have internet, they don't know how they would have coped. So I think the fact internet has been a blessing for a lot of people during this um, coronavirus uh, pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just accentuated. If you've got it, you've been so grateful to have it. If you haven't got it, it's been absolutely awful. And that challenge has been accentuated as well. I mean... I can't imagine um, a situation where you would need the internet more, without a doubt. So, so important. So many of us haven't been able to go shopping. So we've depended on um, online, you know, um, shopping to be delivered at our doors. It, it is every part of our lives. And as I say, it's not a luxury. 20 years ago, it, it was. It is not anymore. It's an absolute necessity. In the same way that we look at public transport, um, you know, the internet is such an enabler. Absolutely. Now, how do you, Trudy, plan to continue the absolutely excellent work um, which has benefited homes and businesses in Bootle in the past to more rural areas across Copeland in the future? I do have a plan for this. Uh, I'm a huge advocate for community plans, for community activists, for can-do people in communities who know their area best, who want to affect positive change. That was me, that's what I said to myself about 15 years ago, when 20 businesses closed in Bootle, when the school was threatened with closure, when I was tempted to move away because I couldn't bear to see this decline in my community. And I was, um, I was just a, a mum at the time, I ran a childcare business. So I decided I would um, you know, join the PTA, I became a school governor, I then promoted myself and applied to join the parish council. And I 
read government strategies. I read the local strategies that the Lake District National Park had written about my community and Copeland Borough Council. Um, I sacrificed uh, soap operas, I think, to find the, the uh, that used to be my guilty pleasure. I used to love Corrie. Um, but sadly, all those had to go because I needed to spend my evenings once I got the children to bed reading up on how we can turn this round because it just instinctively felt so wrong. And I don't know whether it was a maternal instinct or what that kicked in. I had a real fear of speaking publicly. Couldn't imagine ever speaking on a stage to an audience. But I realised I'd have to get over that and call like-minded people to action to come up with a plan for our village and then find those people in um, further society who would be able to influence with money, with power, with strategies. So that was community leaders and private investors. And it worked quite well. We haven't finished yet. We've still got Wellbank to deliver, which will happen. I'm really confident of that. But my dream, Cal, would be that if every community, every town and village had a group of can-do people who would bravely put a plan down, and it is a brave move because once you write something down and you publish it, you're then held to account for it. Yes. But I commend everybody for having a go. I think in this country, um, we don't celebrate failure as a badge of honour for having a go. And I think we should. I think there's too much criticism for those people that put the head bravely above the parapet to try and affect positive change. And I would like to see far more positive people in our communities expressing what they like, what they don't like, what they'd like to change, calling for help from their MP. Because I remember at the time, I didn't know who to go to. Um, and now I want to be on the other side helping those communities. Oh gosh, you get all emotional. <laughs> because, you know, we can make such a difference. A difference. I, I spent some time in, in Spain, actually. This was when I realised that um, I would come back to, to my village and fight because I um, kind of gave up hope. And me and the girls went for a, a gap year in Spain, not quite a year, but certainly to experience another culture. And it was there that I learned that the only charities they seem to have are the expats looking after the stray cats and dogs. It's very difficult to become a parish or town councillor. It seemed to me to be quite a corrupt system, actually, and very difficult to affect change and shape a community. So it was really a moment where I came back. It must have been, gosh, 2008, something like that, and um, found the strength, got people together. And that's what I do now. Absolutely. And it's brilliant to be in this position but I do lack I would say people getting in touch and saying I want to do that can you help me now we've been in a, a kind of period of real difficulty over the last year or so we're all about positivity we're all about positivity in Cumbria absolutely you should join me too Carl you should join I, the I would show. love to join you well, that is all I've got time for. I want to thank you so much, Trudy, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Honestly, it's uh, meant a lot to myself. And thank you um, for taking your time out to answer my questions. And of course, the uh, viewers will get a chance to listen to this um, brilliant interview. And I hope that uh, myself and yourself and the rest of our constituency can build an even stronger Cumbria post the coronavirus uh, lockdown. 
Oh, you're brilliant, Cal. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope, you know, when we nudge towards normality, you could maybe come and visit me in Westminster. And uh, <laughs> you get me an escort, I'd love to come down. <laughs> brilliant. Bye-bye, Cal. Bye. Have a lovely rest of your day, Trudy. <laughs>